Welcome to the Eugene Halliday Podcast. Every fortnight we publish a talk from Eugene Halliday's collected works. These talks were recorded in Manchester and Liverpool, commencing in the late 1950s up until his death in 1987. This is episode 36, Cyclic Law. Psychic law, done before they tend to get forgotten. If we don't remember this strange fact of psychic law, we can become depressed when we're not moving forwards. We'll have a few illustrations of it, and if we can remember what it's about, we will not be surprised if we don't make a continuous forward movement. When we draw our force map of the absolute, we cover the paper with circles, and these circles are zones of influence. Now, they're not static. They are dynamic. And, as you know, every line is a point propagating, and every point is an impulse. An impulse is impulse. The reason the letter M is there instead of an N is because it is followed by the letter P, and the P is a labial. You make it with your lips, and therefore economy says, why not make the N with your lips as well? Instead of saying impulse, you say impulse. So the word impulse means impulse. And that is the sign of Saturn. If there is no impulse, there can be no expulse. There must be a contraction onto a point, and as soon as the point has come to be by this contraction, it must let go of itself again. Because if it doesn't, the thing will be static, and it is not within the nature of power to remain static. Also, as this power is sentient power, there would be no purpose in it remaining on a point. Because if it remains in any state whatever, continuously it will lose consciousness of that state. Because the only way it can retain consciousness is by varying the content of consciousness. If it contracted itself onto a point, and remained at equal contraction, then it would lose awareness of that fact. Only by varying the intensity of the contraction can it retain awareness of it. This is from our basic law, constant stimulation equals no stimulation. So that as soon as we bring it by impulse, a point to exist, we have become aware of it, and it becomes time to let go of it. So that when we remake it, we can re-become aware of it. Now, if we make an impulse in one point, and then let go of it, and then in the next second, make another impulse adjacent to it, and then let go of that one, and make another impulse adjacent to that one, we have one, two, three seconds. And in each second there is a pulse, an impulse, and 
the movement from point one to two and to three is apparent. Then it's a contraction in the place one, which brings a point to exist. It then relaxes, and point two contracts and makes a point. It relaxes, point three contracts and makes a point. Now, there is then, visually, an apparent progression of a point from place one to two to three. But really, no point has gone. This is why we say all motion is apparent motion. Now, because of this law that says constant stimulation equals nerve stimulation, you have to let go of what you've got, relax, and come at it again later. And this is a law that is quite rigid. The absolute power is power. It cannot, by its very, very nature, be static. It can only create the static by opposing forces to each other. And as soon as it has opposed forces to each other, then it brings to be a point of opposition. This point of opposition is, for the moment, a point of awareness. But if it is retained at equal tension continuously, it will lapse from consciousness. And therefore, it must be let go again. And this is a big law, and it covers not only the tiniest parts of a second, but it covers the second, the minute, the hour, the day, the month, the year, and centuries, millennia, and so on. This law of the cycle is the big law. If you try to hold an idea in your mind, you will find that this idea will disappear very shortly. If you think it's gone forever, you may become depressed. If you know the psychic law, you can expect to see it again later. Uh, you may know the little simple experiment with the human eye, where the eyeball is fixed by a little mechanical device so that you can't move. And you then shine into the eye, onto the retina, the light may have a certain shape in a mask on the source of the light. But what happens is this, the retina sees this light, and then very shortly it doesn't see it. The eye, being unable to move, the same part of the retina is stimulated by the light, quickly tires, and the light disappears. So when you allow this experiment to be done with one of your own eyes, you see a light, then you don't see it, and then you do, and then you don't, and then you do. It pulses in and out. And if it were not for this fact, certain peculiar faults would arise in consciousness. Now imagine the human eye, and there's the iris, and there's the pupil in the middle, the hole, through which you shine the light onto the retina. Now imagine the retina is made of little elements, pointing at you like a bunch of uh, spring onions tied together, or like your fingers. And when the eye can move, and the light shines on the part of the retina, at the moment that part of the retina begins to tire, your eye flickers, and thus moves the light onto another part of the retina, not yet tired. And by the eye flickering in this way, you can keep up continuous stimulation. Apparently. You can come back to a portion of the retina that was tired a few seconds ago and let the light fall on it again. And it won't be tired now, it has recovered. 
what we're saying is this, that the very nature of power, of sentient power, and therefore of our own substance, involves psychic law. That whatever we know, shortly we are not going to know, and then later we may know it again. But if we don't allow this psychic law to exist, if we forget about it, and it tends to be forgotten by the nature of psychic law, periodically. If you forget about it, then when you are not knowing something you think you ought to be knowing, you think you're backpedaling or losing time, or you haven't moved. People often face a problem and do what they call solving the problem, and then perhaps five or ten years later they find they haven't solved the problem at all. The problem isn't solved because then they proceed to react in a manner that they thought they had transcended. When this happens, it's an example of psychic law again. And let's see how we can conquer it. We sometimes see old diagrams in which there is an eye in the middle, and around this eye there are the signs of the zodiac. And this eye is looking. And it's looking at the sign of the zodiac, and its arc of vision is travelling around the zodiac. Now, factually, we do undergo the shifting of stresses in the body. When you have a meal, then forces go into the stomach to digest it. And at that moment, forces leave another part of the body. You have so much available force at a given time, this force can do a certain amount of work of a certain order. If you place it in your stomach while you are digesting a meal, you very probably, if you're not careful, rub your brain for the time being. Everybody knows what it means to have a large meal of potatoes, and then a quarter of an hour, twenty minutes later, to become drowsy. Now, what we're saying is, if we like to look at the human body, and put the three parts of the body in here, we can say that just as the forces travel around the solar system, the Earth is travelling around the solar system, and the Earth is being exposed to forces different in March from the ones it will be exposed to in September, and so on. The fact of this exposure to different forces in a cyclic manner means that the organism is undergoing different stimuli from moment to moment. Now, as moments of consciousness depend upon a variation in the content of consciousness, Therefore, your content of consciousness is going to vary throughout the solar year, unless you have a method of stopping it. As an old Chinese saying says, if it is winter, think about summer. If it is spring, think about autumn. Now this is the kind of <coughs> trick, a psychological device, to help you to conquer psychic law. We have a belly, a chest, a head, and the coordinator. Supposing you decide that you'll be very, very clever and you'll start work on coordination. What does coordination have to do? It has to fly very rapidly from the belly to the chest to the head to the chest to the belly and back again. Flying up and down. Because if it doesn't fly up and down and watch the urge, watch the feeling, watch the idea, fly back over the moor, if it doesn't do this, it is simply not coordinating. It's a scanning device to see what is the urge doing, what is feeling doing, what is thinking doing. 
And if you actually try to do this, you will find after a time that you will start to tire. And this tiring process is according to law. You know that tiring is the same thing as touring again. That's the law. The law says, if you keep on doing the same thing, you will tire. You will lapse from consciousness because constant stimulation equals no stimulation. If you forget this law, you'll become depressed at a certain point because you'll be convinced that you haven't moved. You know the old saying, if you sit in the back of the cart, you can see how far you've come. If you sit in the front of the cart, you'll see how far you've got to go. Sitting in the front of the cart can be very depressing. Sitting in the back of the cart can be very elevating. You might even suffer from St. Paul's disease, or exaltation of spirit, or sheer swell-headedness. Sitting in the back of the cart and seeing how far you can, compared with ordinary mortals, can help you to become pleased and positive for the time being. But if you go and sit in the front of it, see how far you've got to go, it has a sobering effect. Now, what we tend to forget, if we're not careful, is this. We are not training ourselves for time. We have how many years before we start thinking about training? Generally, say, 20 years of life is gone. We may have 40, 50 left. You've got 50 years to play about it to put yourself in order. You are not playing about with yourself and discovering yourself for time. Because if that's all you were doing it for, you'd be wasting time. It is absolutely essential to remember. If you forget that you're preparing yourself for eternity and think you're preparing yourself for time, you can become very disappointed in your progress. Because in effect, if you think you're preparing yourself for time, you think you're going to get perfection within a week or a month, or if you're very patient, within six months. But in fact, you're not going to get your perfection in such a short time. And you should not get your perfection in such a short time. You are not training for time. You're going to be definitely dead within a few years. Apart from nuclear weapons, you're going to be dead by psychic law. So no matter how far you work, how clever you become, how perfect you become, in time your body is going to fall apart. And therefore you are not training for time. So that you shouldn't be surprised if the prize being eternal, the temporal work, should take all the time you've got. This is of the utmost importance to realize, and it's a thing we constantly tend to forget, that we are not training for time. We are training for eternity. Death is certain. All born beings to date, statistically, have managed to get dead. And Therefore, we haven't even got one case that we know of that hasn't been dead. Even Christ resurrecting had to get killed first. The question of whether we can resurrect after our personal death is open, but that we will die. We have not one evidence statistically to suggest is unlikely. We are going to die a physical death. This body is going to fall to bits. We can promise that with statistics of about 150,000 years human and several millions of years animal 
and considerably more vegetable. So we are not training for time, we are training for eternity. And we'd be damned cheeky if we thought that by fooling about for a year or two years or three years, we could then establish ourselves in eternity without any further work. It's a kind of short view. It's a short-sighted view. It can't possibly be a true view that a thing of permanent value shall be gained in a year or two's happy occasional work. So we will remind ourselves we are working not for time. We are working through time for the timeless, for the absolutely permanent. We will then not be disappointed if we discover that in three years' work, or four, or five, or ten, we've still got more work to do. We've got work to do as long as we have a physical body. If, when we finish up on the deathbed, we've accumulated enough directive forces in us to carry us into the next world with the right direction that is all we ought to hope for. Not to have completed the process in this time, but to have established such a direction in this gross body that after the dissolution of the gross body we will be able to say, I know that my subtle body now is so surcharged with direction of evolution of consciousness that it can't stop. It must go on. And therefore, in eternity, the eternity, the absolute state of power, my evolution is going to continue. If we remember this fact, we will not be disappointed if standing on our left ear on a block of ice and melting it doesn't land us into nirvana in three years' practice. Now, let's look a little more closely at this psychic law. We cover the paper with our circles. We make ever so many. Every circle is propagated from a point, its own center. That point is the product of an impulse or saturnine impression and is followed by a Jupiter or expansion, expulsion. And the cyclic law then consists of a wheel turning into the center and from the center. So the cyclic law can be represented by a continuous traveling to the center and from the center. That's one way of looking at it. Also, we can take any perimeter and realize that because there are no lines other than points propagating, points are impulses, then we can see cyclic law going round the perimeter. The stress accent on any existent perimeter is varying from moment to moment. If you could examine a billiard ball, cut a section through that million ball and look at the pulsations, the molecular pulsations constituting it, you would find that there's a cyclic ripple running through it. No matter how small the cycle or how big the cycle, there is an impulse running round the perimeter and there's another one running to the center and from the center to the perimeter all the time. This being so, we can say that the human being with his three parts can be considered like three wheels. And there's a force down here we call the sexual force. He turns on his circle, he goes down to express himself, up to recuperate his energies. After he's done that, 
another circle starts, the circle of belongingness. It goes down once it belongs to people, invites itself to a party, and it climbs up and gets bored step and doesn't want to go to that party anymore. If you belong too closely to people, you will lose your individual value. If you go on a desert island forever, you will lose your belonging value. You have to leave and come back in anything. When you go through your sexual cycle, and then you go through your belonging cycle, then you'll go through, let's have dinner cycle. When you come through these, you'll climb to another cycle. I like it cycle, I'm in different cycle, I don't like it cycle. When you've gone through that, you'll go through the truth thing. I perceive, I remember, I evaluate. And these are all little wheels within big wheels. You see here that we've gone through, in effect, nine phases within three bigger ones. Let's look at the cycle again. There's a sexual impulse, plays out, belonging impulse, food impulse, liking something impulse, being indifferent to the same thing, disliking it, perceiving things, remembering things, evaluating things, and then we go back again. Now, this means that the energy inside your body is playing up and down the spinal column. There's another cycle. If you expect to be able to fix your energy in any one spot, we'll pretend there's a spot up there called intelligence. If you think you can hold that spot of intelligence in a few months or years' work permanently, you're misconceiving the nature of the work. Constant stimulation equals no stimulation. And if you put yourself on that point of intelligence, and didn't allow it to barely, and didn't allow yourself to come off it, you would become unconscious. It is only by leaving and returning that you maintain the content of consciousness that you know. Up and down the spinal column, the forces are traveling. There are various cycles and sub-cycles. There's one cycle, rather an interesting one, that takes place just under the hour. 58 minutes, 4 seconds, certain forces flow <coughs> into the right side of the body, and then they come back and there's a stasis, and then they flow into the left side of the body. So one side of the body, the will side, is charged, and you feel you can do things without thinking about them, and then shortly afterwards you'll be thinking about things instead of doing them. When you're feeling willful, that seems right. When you're feeling rational, that seems right. Whatever you are being dominated by feels to you right at the moment you're being dominated by it. Unless there is inserted into you a concept that it shouldn't be like this. And this concept comes through the ears. The ear carries in a concept. We'll say this is the concept of perfection the perfectionist concept. And this says, I shouldn't vary, I should always be the same, always equal. But then that tends to reduce itself to a static concept, in which by equal you mean static. But this is already false. Equal does not mean static. It means scanning the whole field of possibilities so rapidly that you accomplish the whole field and all its complex. 
up and down the mud, and these enemies will go, and they'll keep on going as long as you've got to borrow. Because this is so, if you want to amuse yourself by accelerating your development in a rather unusual way, all you have to do is, by feeling, know where the energy is in your body, unless you can do by simply watching it and asking yourself, where am I centered now? And as soon as you feel where you are centered, find the opposite point to it and deliberately change center. Now this will always produce in you a conflict, and this conflict will heighten consciousness. If you are situated, we'll say, in the sexual center, and you climb right up to the rational center that compares things, at that moment you'll find between the two a field flux develops. You become aware, very consciously. The man who is passive to a sexual impulse isn't really aware of it. Supposing he decides he'll try to control it, does he become less aware of it or more aware of it? In practice, he becomes more aware. As soon as you interfere, you become more aware. And this is a method whereby you use psychic law to defeat psychic law. Psychic law still exists, but now you transcend it by recognizing it and playing the things in opposites. In summer, you stimulate winter. Most people do not visualize snow on the ground in this weather. And yet, in fact, if you look at the trees now and visualize how they looked in winter with no leaves on them, you have an experience different from if you simply allow summer to speak to you now in summer terms. To see summer in terms of winter is to see summer properly. What do you know of England? Who am England now? You know that Brother Lawrence's great conversion depended on something. He saw trees in winter, and he said, When I consider that these trees, now looking so dead, will in the spring be covered with leaves and filled with faith. He saw death there standing up, no evidence whatever of leaf. And yet he saw in his memory last spring, and he said, Spring will come again. And that meant that our life forces conquering death. And from that moment he began to whistle very, very cheerfully. And he washed his dishes and bought the wine with great skill, always making a profit. He had discovered something by looking inside himself about psychic law. We've had it before on many occasions, but it tends to lapse by the nature of psychic law from consciousness. We've got so much to remember, but we're not training for time, we're training for eternity. And yesterday a young woman said to me, last evening, I've been practicing yoga that I learned in the ladies' magazine. I've been standing on my head to make my hair grow. And her boyfriend said, oh, the article I read wasn't in the ladies' magazine, and I gathered from it that we stand on our heads we yogis, in order to make the body numb, so that we can forget about it and become all intelligence. That's two versions of yoga. Now, uh, we've said before, we have karma yoga, yoga of action, we have bhakti yoga, 
the yoga of love. We have nama yoga, the yoga of knowledge. And we have raja yoga, the yoga of coordination, or the yoga of kings. Those are four main divisions of yoga. But they're only divisions of yoga. You see, coordination requires you to know, to love, and to do. And how can you coordinate knowing and loving and doing unless you first know what knowing is and loving is and doing it? You can't put them together unless you experience them. And you can't experience them fully except in terms of their opposites. You can only know what doing is properly if you don't do what you think about doing. You can only know what knowing is properly by doing something without knowing about it. You can only know what feeling is by neither doing nor thinking. So you define a thing in terms of its object. Now we have a cycle where there are four yogas and they're going to keep rotating. And there are various subdivisions of karma yoga, such as hatha yoga, all the yogas of action. Hatha yoga, physical yoga, laya yoga, kriya yoga, and so on. There are many subdivisions of this. Most of the subdivisions are in the realm of karma, because in the realm of physical activity you can find an awful lot of funny things to do. You can thread bandages up your nostrils, you can pull them out dirtier than they went in, <laughs> you can swallow several yards of bandage into your stomach and pull it up, covered in slime. All this is part of yoga. But it isn't all yoga. Maybe standing on your head is good for the hair. It should be, if gravity helps blood flow. But if you stand too long on the same spot on the head, you'll probably get less hair instead of more. <laughs> now, the psychic law says that whatever we're doing, if we're not careful, we will not be doing very, very shortly. And if we don't engrave on our mind the principle of psychic law, we will forget it. We don't devise a method whereby everything that happens, we say, this is psychic law. And I must state the opposite. If we don't devise this method, then we're going to be in a bit of a mess. You know that the sea, when it is heaving about, making its waves, in general terms, the molecules of the water do not travel in the manner the wave appears to travel. They heave up and down, and the rising of one part of the water is coincident with the falling of another part, and this lifting travels along the body of the water. But the water itself does not travel, so that the wave is an appearance. Now, if we draw ourselves a simple sine wave like this, there's a complete cycle. We're going up and right down and on to the middle again. There's a cycle. If we know that this cycle is really a cycle, with the bottom half of the cycle shifted one diameter, we'll know that the real nature of the cycle is always this. And our wave is an abstraction from cyclic law. Now, the man who doesn't know that there is a wave in his being that there is no motion whatever in the whole of the universe that is not built on psychic law. When he is going up, he will feel smart. He's a clever fellow. He's ambitious and he's successful. 
And if he gets to the top, he must come down. And if he doesn't know about psychic law, he thinks he's a failure. Because he's going down. But he can't go up without going down. You remember our method of conquering manic depressive psychosis? All we do is this. Every time we feel elevated, we pull ourselves down deliberately by stating psychic law. This causes the amplitude of the wave to diminish and we get a, a wave which is nearer the horizontal line. Every time we pull down exaltation of spirit, the wave gets flatter. And when we do this, we cannot be depressed. Depression is only evidence of previous elevation. If you let yourself go up one foot above the median line, you will be down one foot below the median line at the end of the cycle. We cannot avoid this. Now, the observer is not the observed. This means we have the power to dissociate from phenomena. Phenomena are the product, formally, of psychic law. We can conquer psychic law by seeing the opposites in the cycles. We can see the trough and the crest to presuppose each other. There is no crest without a trough. There is no trough without a crest. If we admit this, we're all right. If we don't, we're going to be elevated and depressed alternately until we finally decide to commit suicide on the slight uprise out of a wave of depression. Here we are, and we recognize if we understand this psychic law, we can defeat it, we can transcend it. It will still exist. But by understanding its law, we'll get above it. An aeroplane is heavier than air, and yet it flies. How does it fly? It flies by obeying natural law, not disobeying. If we obey the law of the cycle, we can fly above it. But if we don't know there is a cycle, we'll certainly fall below it. Throughout the whole of our being and throughout the whole of universal being, psychic law rules. If we don't say this to ourselves, we're going to be in trouble. We're going to think we're doing very, very well one day and pretty lousy the next day. If we have a high opinion of ourselves in one week when we're doing wonderfully, we're going to have a very low opinion of ourselves when we're doing badly. And we might, when we're being very, very low, bump ourselves out of the world and lose the opportunity for completing our education. Human birth is hard to get. There are only 20,000 million physical human bodies on the earth, and there are an infinity of intelligences trying to get in. They can't all get in at once. It needs time. And time itself is a psychic process. To get into a human body and complete your evolution is very, very great good fortune. To ignore the opportunity is foolishness. To expect the process to be completed in a few years' effort is also foolishness. But to accelerate one's development, we must understand the law. The great law, the observer is not the observed. And within the realm of the observed, the objective realm, psychic law rules absolutely. To climb out of the dominion of psychic law, we must practice non-identification with it, and to aid in this, we must assert the opposite phase of the cycle. 
if the cycle is down and there is a depressed state in the body and a lack of knowledge, we must say this is psychic law. Tomorrow I'll be a genius. And we must mean it. And if we're being a genius one day, we must say self federate. Tomorrow you are a moron. He who takes success and failure equally has pulled himself onto this horizontal line. And he is of equal spirit. He can, if he wants, deliberately elevate himself like an actor does. Or he can depress himself like a, maybe a young girl trying to persuade a little boy to buy him a box of chocolates. Whatever he does, if he can pull himself onto the median line, he will be able to elevate or depress himself at will. But if he's not on the median line, he will not be able to elevate himself deliberately, nor will he be able to depress himself deliberately. He'll be elevated one moment by psychic law, and the next moment he'll be depressed by the same law. Now, whatever practice we make, and every person practices something somehow, everybody's trying to get somewhere, whether it's a lord of the realm of mammon, or lord of the realm of inner spirit, and so on. Everybody's trying to get somewhere, and there's a technique of getting there. And a person tends to attach himself to a particular technique. But any particular technique, whatever, is not the whole technique. And therefore, if you adhere to a particular technique for a long time, it will stop showing the profit. The person who practices karma yoga, I have an Indian friend, very handsomely performed. He can put his legs around his neck, he can put his tongue out a very long way. He can balance on the palms of his hands, and he can twist his body and hold his right toe with his left thumb, all sorts of funny things. And he landed in an English jail for six years by committing bigamy. Now, he did this because he thought that being able to distort his body in this way, uh, he had license to perform various things. Now, the court thought otherwise. When I discussed it with him, he said that he had failed to take into account one or two points. And he's now relatively a former character. If you decide that you're going to get to heaven with karma yoga, and you analyze what karma means, you'll find that it involves another kind of yoga. Every yoga contains the other yogas hidden in it. <coughs> and the letter R here is the differentiating part. The ruling power, the rex. The rest of the word kama is the Hindu word for eros, the erotic impulse. Kama is desire. This is the erotic impulse. Karma is the rulership of desire. If you are dominated by desire, then that is karma. And there is always anti-karma, a hit back at you, a reaction. This means if you try to do karma yoga, the yoga of physical things, you are actually operating on your desire nature. Because why do you desire to do karma yoga? Why do you desire to do physical yoga? Because you desire it. But that isn't in the realm of action. In the physical sense, desire is a psychic phenomenon. Now, let's look at another here is the Bhakti Yoga, and this is the Yoga of Love. Bhakta is a man who loves. 
What is to love? It's a state of the soul, love. But to love is a verb, and it means you've got to do something. And you've got to know what to do. The uh, Bhakta, the Bhakta Yogi himself, knows what to do. He loves God, he loves his father, he loves the cosmic intelligence. To this he devotes himself. He doesn't love the little lady down the street whose toes turn in too much and has wrinkled tip toes and so on. He doesn't love her, he gets a high object. To get this he has to be a canonio. He must know what object is worth loving. And then he must proceed to do it. To love is a verb, he must do it. Now let's have a look at the words for knowledge. Now listen, now, you have the base of no, it's K-N in English. Right now, base of to know is made of ga and af. Ga, the very principle of Gallic languages. That's straight back in Karma Yoga. And the na in it means negated. There's your Gallic, negated. Now, you know by inhibiting your gullible urge. If you don't inhibit it, you will never know. If you do inhibit it, there will be a conflict and you will become aware of the conflict. So whether we take karma, bhakti, gnana, yoga, it doesn't make any difference. Each one has the other two yogas hidden inside it. And to neglect the two hidden ones is to fail in the one you've chosen. You might do the plough, or you might do a lovely asana, or a padma, or you might turn the drum, or do anything you like. Whatever you do, it won't avail unless you do all that is to be done. It's no good doing a bit to the exclusion of the other bits. Nothing less than the whole work can make whole. Many people think that by breathing very heavily, or over a long period, or by holding their breath in, having a hemorrhage or holding it out and just getting a bit dizzy. It's always safe to hold it out and in. They think they'll get to heaven. They won't. Not unless they love heaven and know what heaven is. And then coordinate. Whatever it is, we know from the fact that we're dealing with this absolute sentient power of this spirit, symbolized by this paper, the chemistry of all parts of space is the same. Any mark we make on the paper, no matter how big and no matter what shape, it's all on the paper. The marks are nothing else but Nicole. Illustrations of the fact that the paper can move, the spirit can mobilize itself, that it can model itself. When it has done so, it is still only spirit. And spirit in no sense is separable into particulars. It is always and everywhere itself holy. So that that spirit is a sentient power in act. It is sentient power knowing itself in act. It's a triune power. To neglect one of the Trinity functions is to neglect the very one you're concentrating on because two-thirds of the one you're concentrating on are already belonging to the other two missing thirds. 
Not at all. Here, you're taking presuppose and you're meaning by supposing, putting underneath before and. But when we consider the nature of the cycle, we are not <coughs> considering the future. We're considering the nature of cycles as such, not in the future, but in themselves. Every cycle is a cycle, it's a circle. And if we draw half a circle today, and the other half tomorrow, and that's giving rise to a wave, it doesn't alter the fact that on the first day the whole cycle existed. And when we state to ourselves at the top of the cycle, there is a bottom of the cycle. <coughs> we are not referring to the future. We are referring to the nature of the cycle. We are making no predictions about how long this cycle will last. We are saying that the cycle must complete itself in any duration whatever. So we are not presupposing in the sense where the prefix pre means before. We are presupposing only in the sense that pra means rationally inherent in the proposition. To presuppose in this sense is to say within the nature of cyclic law Every element of the cycle must recur. We're not saying whether it's Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday, this year, next year, sometime, never. But the law as such must complete itself in cycles. Well, the next If you want to defeat cyclic law, certainly you must work. And if you don't, you will be under it, because you're either over it or under it. You can't come on to equal terms with it. There's a hierarchy. Either you use your knowledge of cyclic law, and if you feel inert, you say, well, I'm feeling inert because of cyclic law. So I'm going to disturb it. I'm going to insert a little bit of energy from my reservoirs of energy stored up out of my numerous dinging. I have to move myself. And on the other hand, when you feel like rushing out and doing something, you say, this also is cyclic law, I will sit down, I will not go to the cinema now and see Miss Marvin's film, I'll sit here and wait till the others come back and say, after all, it's a lousy film. So, the thing is to defeat by the opposite impulse, the reigning impulse, and in so doing to pull down the variation. Knowing that when you have pulled it down to the median line, you have attained the very thing you need, initiative power, freedom from the psychic law, and the ability, if you want to do it, to be quite manageable by act of will and quite depressive by act of will. That is, you can jump on the reigning cycle deliberately and then come off. Pulling down the median line doesn't diminish 
effort to go to increase you. It isn't easy to pull yourself down when you're feeling on top of the world. No, but when we think of seeing somewhat fully by seeing what the winter is like, yeah. we're taking two opposites. Yeah. But here we're lessening the distance between opposites. You can only do that by taking the opposite to reduce the distance. Between summer and winter, you've got two other points, spring and autumn. fighting an impulse and defeating it, if you can. The tendency is for the impulse to say, but this is life. But it isn't life. It's leakage. Life is when you pull everything out of the median line so that you're free, and then you look at the prevailing cycle. You hit a solar bandwagon, if you like, and you jump on it and off it, at will. It's a question of the timing, I guess. See, if you're on the median line, maybe the lady wants to be kissed. If you're on the median line, then you certainly know that. But if you're not, you may be too depressed. Or you may be so elevated that you will kiss the wrong girl. This median line is not static. It's so tremendously intensely conscious compared to the other two lines that you can't possibly understand it if you're in a depressed state. Nor if you're in an elevated state. Because it's a highly compacted state. The whole of the energy involved in the full amplitude of that wave is in the reduced wave, the medium line. It hasn't disappeared. It's compacted. You feel more vibrant, more intense. All that's happened now is that your frequency is higher. You haven't lost anything. Most people are terrified of this medium line and think it means death. It doesn't. It means heightened sensitivity, heightened awareness, heightened initiative. cycles from the smallest division of the second up to millions and millions of light years. There are obvious cycles about the seven year cycle in the bottom. There are also cycles like the just under the hour cycle. And there are five sub cycles within the hour. And there are sub cycles within those. And even a breath is a little cycle. How often do you breathe? How many thousands of times do you breathe in a day? Hundred thousand? Each one is a little cycle. How often in? What's the position between, say, immediacy or consciousness? Immediacy means you have got yourself on the median line. Because you can't be immediate if you're riding up and down on the cycle law. You're conditioned by it. Transcend it in exactly the same way a man flying a plane transcends the so called law that says that heavier than air objects cannot fly. 
You fly by means of the law. You don't break the law. You utilize it. <laughs> so the first step is theory to think that psychic law merely exists and that it's quite a good thing to stop and that the technique of stopping it is taking the opposite. Take the most obvious thing in human relation, uh, a relation of love. Do you find in spontaneous love, not calculated love, do you find that both people come together at the same moment? Or do you find that as they come together, one of them turns away provocatively? Where does this provocation come from? Suppose when they came together like a couple of lamb plays. You see, would that be laugh? Yes. They would stick their mouths and stand <laughs> well, it wouldn't do. It's likely to miss the target and have to readjust. Heightens awareness. Oh, there's a subtle purpose behind it. It's the tacit conspiracy of it, hiding behind them. Even behind the lamp. <laughs> Can you imagine one lamp getting jealous of another because he's kissing his stem? Yeah, a terrible creature. He just go on going. <laughs> and you can imagine a pair of those in an eternal embrace. We'd say nothing if not more. <laughs> Cyclic law is very important, and everybody tends to forget it according to cyclic law. And somehow you got to defeat it by writing on your brain, cyclic law exists. The night is closing in now. So it'll be dawn soon. When you get up in the morning to have a lovely day, it's going to be raining. Say this to yourself so that you do not depend on the external stimulus situation. When you don't depend on that, if you want, you can go out and rain with your Mac off and feel very, very cheerful. How kid is this? This is the innocence that Jesus talks about who goes into the kingdom of heaven. A mother thinking about the future health of her child buys his large pair of rubber gumboots and sends it out in the rain and takes them off and treads about in the gutter, having lent them to a poor friend. Now the child is right and the mother is wrong. If the child has its own way, it will at least become hardy. And if the mother has her way, it will be quite unfit to let loose in nature at all. Somehow we've got to see psychic law for what it is, understand it, penetrate to its meaning in every little thing. You mustn't expect your emotions to remain the same. If you declare everlasting love through X, and then Friday you're wondering why you said it, you shouldn't be surprised. You should say psychic law again. <laughs> I might repeat it next Tuesday. And if you don't know about this, you can get very disgusted about it.
for listening to the Eugene Halliday podcast. Please subscribe to receive notifications of future episodes. Thank you.